0: Welcome to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. The message that I have for today is about the Feast of Trumpets. It's a teaching, and it's a word and it's a releasing of a prophetic season. Back in May, actually, it was May 1st, I had a dream. This was not long after we did the One Blood Revival in Baton Rouge. And many of you that followed through, you know that God was moving, He was giving these words of warning. The flood waters were rising, everybody was praying and interceding. <laughs> And I was seeking the Lord. God, is there something coming? When is it coming? What's it going to happen? You know, we're right on the banks of these rivers. It's about to flood. What's going on? And I dreamed that the Lord walked up to me. Well, it was an angel, I believe, in the dream. And he handed me a piece of paper. And when I unfolded it, it said Rosh Hashanah. Well, I knew that was a Jewish holiday, but I didn't really know anything about it. Well, I marked it down in my calendar on my phone. We'll see what happens when that day comes. Well... Fast forward ahead, the people in the church start talking, and they're like, it's Brother uh, Glenn and Sister Sue's 40th anniversary. The family's talking. we got to do something for the 40. I'm like, we'll just we'll do a dinner at the church. We'll do a surprise dinner, and everybody will get together. And I go to mark the date in the calendar, and it's Rosh Hashanah. So it's marked. Okay, well, we're going to have a feast on that day. It's the Feast of Trumpets. Why not? Skip ahead a little while. God tells me. 40 days of prayer and fasting. So I'm like, okay, I need to mark when this fast ends so I'll know when I can eat again. And so I count the days, and it ends on Rosh Hashanah. So I'm like, God, are you trying to tell me something about Rosh Hashanah? He says, go to YouTube and listen to a Nathan Morris sermon. So I go to YouTube, and I click Nathan Morris, and I start scrolling. He says, that one. I start listening to it. I don't get what you're trying to say. This is from 2011 at the last revival. This is an old sermon that all of a sudden he says, and the power is increasing and it's going to increase until Rosh Hashanah. And I'm like, okay, you want something with Rosh Hashanah. So I started researching it. And as I looked into the meanings of it, I began to realize what God was trying to say. And that's the message that I'm going to bring y'all today. Now, more so than usual, I'm going to read a lot straight from my notes because he's given me so much. over It's been over a month he's been putting this together, and I don't want to miss anything that he's saying. But I want to explain to you a few things. There's a few significances about this day. Rosh Hashanah is the celebration of the return of Christ. It's a wedding celebration. Today is Mom and Dad's 40th wedding anniversary. Number 40 in numerology. Danny almost preached it for me. It's a time of testing, but when it ends, it's a time of coming out of the wilderness and stepping into promise and power in the Holy Ghost. Remember, it says that Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, but once he had passed the test, he came out in the power of the Holy Ghost. But it's bigger than that, because today is also my sister Christy Cole's seventh anniversary. The week is complete. It is finished. It's done, coming out in the power of the Holy Ghost. God is doing something. We understand that in the Jewish culture, in the book of Leviticus, God gave the different feast days, and they were for a learning, and the Jews were to keep these feast days and the rituals of them so that they would understand future events. They would come every year as a remembrance, but they were prophesying of a coming event that would eventually take place. For example, we know that they did Passover every year, But Jesus fulfilled Passover at the crucifixion. So it was prophesying of a coming event. And it's good to still do the Passover if you're doing it in remembrance of Christ's completion of it. Pentecost was a Jewish feast. That came on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was released. There are a few more, some that are not fully completed, and Rosh Hashanah is one of them. Rosh Hashanah celebrates the return. It's a reminder that the King is coming. And so it is one that is very good to learn about and to remember and to keep for the purpose of understanding and remembering what's coming. It's not yet fulfilled. You know, this is kind of interesting because every year at New Year's, God always gives me a word for the church to tell them what the Lord is saying is coming for us in the next year as a, as a congregation and a church body. This year at New Year's, he didn't give me anything. And I thought, oh, well, I guess it's the same as last year. We're still in it. But now he's giving me the word. And I realize it's because there's a shift. This is the Jewish new year. He wants to give you his new year word. It was his mandate. It was the dates that he said it was the biblical creation. We've been going off of the Gregorian calendar, and that's not wrong. He takes you where you are, but then he takes you a little more. And so the word that he has for me to release today is a word for the next year, but it's a spiritual year. It's a season. There is a shifting of the season. We're in transition. And by the end of this message today, we're going to close this season, but we have to make sure that we close it right because we want to step into promise with the right stuff. You don't want to take the wounds and the baggage of Egypt. You got to leave it in the wilderness. Things are going to change in the church, in the nation, and we need to be prepared. We need to be spiritually ready. In the Jewish culture, they actually have four New Years. I know that seems weird to us, but they have like an agricultural New Year, a physical New Year, uh, a religious New Year, and then they have a legal New Year. Rosh Hashanah is part of their legal New Year and their significance to that. It begins a time frame known as the Days of Awe, and it ends at Yom Kippur, which this year is on October 9th, which is the Day of Atonement. I think most of us understand the Day of Atonement is when the priest goes and he historically would shed blood to atone for the sins of the people. Christ was our atonement. Rosh Hashanah is the Feast of Trumpets. It's marked by the blowing of the shofars. The shofar blows over 100 times on Rosh Hashanah. Now, let me explain something to you. Right now, we are technically still in the month of Elul, but it ends at 6 o'clock this evening because biblically the day started at 6 o'clock and went from 6 to 6, not midnight to midnight. So at 6 o'clock this evening, we will officially start Rosh Hashanah. But that's the beauty of the new covenant. We can celebrate a few hours early and not get stoned. (laughs) But what we're doing here is actually closing out Elul. So you're going to actually celebrate Rosh Hashanah yourself. And there are some things I'm going to point out that need to be done today and tomorrow, not as a ritual, but as a personal releasing of those things that have held us back. And you'll understand by the end of this message, because God's about to do something and he wants to do it right. And we'll do it the way he wants, because he's the one that really matters. There's four different main blasts for the uh, shofars, and I'm going to give you just a quick little history on some of this stuff. It's all interesting teaching. Um, The first blast that's blown on Rosh Hashanah is called the uh, Takaya. It's a call to worship. It's one long, sustained blast. Mama, go ahead and demonstrate if you can. This is the Takaya. All right. It's a call to worship. And when I hear the way that there's are so specific, it's a long sustained. And when I think of that, I think God is saying your worship needs to be continual. It needs to be sustained. It needs to be not just something that you do, but something that you live in. The next blast is called the shiverim. It's three blast, and it is the call to repentance. Brother Wayne, you're going to do the shiverim for us. Praise the Lord, that's it. That blast is the shivarim. It's God calling his people to repentance. And what I think about when I hear the three blast is the fact that the areas of temptation that we have to repent from the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Three repentances. Three areas that we need to examine ourselves. For repentance. The next blast that they do on Rosh Hashanah is called the Teruah. It is a call to war, Brother Chris. This is the call to war. And for me, these are just personal things that the Holy Spirit puts on me. When I hear that call to war, I'm reminded that the battle isn't won in one fight. It's a continual hammering. In fact, whenever we first started preparing for the uh, revival in Baton Rouge, we were doing a worship set, and Georgia just randomly started singing this song called Strike the Ground, Strike the Ground. And it reminds me of the story in the Old Testament when the prophet came to the king, and he shot the arrow, and he said, go strike the ground. And so will it be when you fight the enemy. And he went and he struck the ground three times. And the prophet came and he was upset. He said if you would have struck it six times, you'd have destroyed him completely. But because you only struck it three times, he's going to continually come back. You weaken him, you're pushing him back, but you're not defeating him. You didn't keep on. You didn't keep persisting. And when she started singing that song, I heard that and I knew that. I was like, this fight is not going to be over when people think it's over. It's going to be won by those who are willing to continually strike the ground and keep persisting in prayer and fasting after the lights and the stage are gone. Keep striking the ground. That is a call to war, and it's a reminder that you have to continually hammer against the enemy. So when you think it's over, fight again. And then the last one is called the Tequia Gondola. I'm gonna attempt this. I'm already out of breath from worship. It's called the Great Blast. It's the final trump. It heralds the king. <laughs> Danny laughs because he knows the only way I can do the upward inflection at the end as if I bow. <laughs> it literally takes my whole being to push that last thing out. But there's significance in that. I, I heard a professional shofar player tell me one time that the last blast should signify our walk of faith. Because it's a blast where you give it all you have, you blow as long as you can, and then at the end when you're absolutely out of everything, you still give it another push. You push out with everything that you have. You give him your whole heart, your whole strength, your whole mind. You give him everything. And it's like that in our Christian walk. When we come to that place where we have nothing left, push again. Get that last little bit out, and then the king steps in. Remember, Jesus said, be willing to forsake all or you're not worthy of me. We got to learn to give all. Okay, in Jewish culture, because this feast is celebrated by the blowing of shofars, it represents a few things. First and foremost, it represents God's voice. And this is very significant. It either represents his voice directly or through the mouth of a prophet. Go to Exodus chapter 19, verse 9, and I'm going to read you just a small account. We're not going to cover a whole lot of scripture today because I have a lot of points that I want to cover. But go ahead and open Exodus 19, 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. So what's happening here is God is about to give uh, the Ten Commandments and he's calling Moses to gather all of the people because he's been speaking to Moses. And sometimes they follow Moses. Sometimes they think he's crazy. So is the life of a prophet. But God says, I'm going to speak to the people. I'm going to let them hear my voice so that they know that I really am speaking. He said, so gather them all and let them come. Skip ahead to verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud. The voice of the trumpet exceeding loud. So that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. The mount Sinai was altogether a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And we're going to stop there and I'll just give you a quick recap of the rest of the story. Moses goes up. The people hear his voice. He goes up. He comes back to the people and they're like, we don't want to hear this. We're scared. If we hear his voice, we'll die. Well, you just heard his voice and you didn't die. He was willing to speak to you directly. They said, no, we don't want to hear his voice. Give us a man to speak to us. You see, the issue was they had idols. They were still bowing to idols at home in their tent. And they knew if they heard directly from God themselves and refused to get rid of their idols, they would surely die. They would be consumed by the jealousy of the Lord. So they said, no, give us a man. Because what they're really thinking is because we can refuse to listen to the man, And just pretend that we don't know that the Lord is really speaking through him. When you refuse to spend time in prayer and hear from the Lord. And when you refuse to hear the word of the prophet. Because there's idols in your life. And you don't want to be told to give them up. Because chapter 20. He comes back with the Ten Commandments. And here's the sad part. If you really look at the story. What's happening here is God himself is offering to become the husband of Israel. He's saying, because I saved you, I will now become a spouse to you. These Ten Commandments, they're our wedding vows. Think of the Ten Commandments and look at them. They're wedding vows. You will have no other lover. You'll have no other God before me. It's all of the things of telling you how to be a good bride to the king and how to get along with the family. God wants a family, and he wanted to be in union with the Israelites. But in order to do that, they had to divorce the other lover. They had to get rid of the idols. And that's what they refused to do. That's why they said, we don't want to hear from you directly. We don't want to marry you. Send us a man, which eventually he did, in Jesus, and they rejected him too. But many times up until then, he sent word through the prophets, and they killed the prophets because they still didn't want to get rid of the other lover. Danny preached last week about the spirit of Antichrist. What is the spirit of Antichrist? It is the other lover. It's the anti-groom, the Antichrist. So long story short, they tell Moses that they don't want to hear directly ever again. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, and I'm going to show you in Scripture exactly why they did not want to hear from God. Because we think, oh, they were scared, they were terrified, they thought that they were going to die under this almighty glory cloud, but that's not the real issue. It was a heart issue because you see God was willing when you come into marriage covenant you come under a protection the Hebrews called it a hoopah. it was a covering in fact when they got married they stood under a covering called a hoopah, and it meant that you were now under the protection of this groom and so he was telling the Israelites if you will be faithful to me if you will agree to these wedding vows then you will be married to me and you will be under my protection Remember, he gives you all the list of blessings. He says, but if you don't, then you'll be outside of the protection. He gives you the list of curse. Judgment falls when you walk outside of the protection, when you get out from under the hoopah. when you are not in marriage covenant with the king, when you have other lovers. God was trying to save them has always been trying to save them it was never a control I'm a mean God and I want you to do these things it was I love you and I'm trying to save you from a judgment that's coming from these enemies all around you but unless I am your covering there is no protection from it in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 18 there's a small recap of this whole scenario and it says for ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched that burn with fire, nor unto blackness, nor darkness, nor tempest, and the sound of the trumpet, and the voice of his words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. It's not because they were afraid of God. It's because they didn't want to hear what God commanded, because they would not endure that which was commanded command The issue was a heart issue. They just didn't want to get rid of the idols, and I fear that's where the church is today. They put on a show. They say, send me a man because I cannot listen to him, or I can follow any man that I want to listen to, but I won't hear his commandments. I don't want to hear the truth, and I don't want to hear it from you, and I don't want to hear it from him, but there's a judgment because you're outside of his protection, really quick go to Jeremiah 25:15 and I'm going to show you that real biblical Christianity the majority will never truly receive it they don't want to hear the truth they said give us a man I give you one small example outside of Jesus Christ of a man Jeremiah 25:15 For thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto me, take the wine cup of this fury at my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send thee to drink of it. How about an evangelism commission like that? I'm sending you out to evangelize the world. Oh yes, Lord, send me out in glory and power and healing and raising the dead and manifestation. I'm sending you out with the wine cup of my wrath to declare to every nation that you go into that judgment is coming. And they shall drink and be moved and be mad because of the sword that I will send among them. They're not going to love you for it. They're going to get mad. Biblical evangelism. Not the world system, not the Antichrist church. Now, there's times when God moves to endorse you to support the message that they will be encouraged. But when you come back to holiness, it always thins out the weeds. It brings separation. When you hear the trumpet Remember that it said that his voice on the mountain, when he did speak, that time when he did audibly speak for all the people to hear, it said it was like a trumpet, at the sound of the trumpet. So for the Jews, the sound of the shofar is a reminder of God calling, of him speaking. When they hear it, it is usually either a call to repentance, it's a reminder for reconciliation, it's a reminder for relationship with him, that he's calling us to prayer, It's a reminder of righteousness, of what it takes to be that faithful bride. It's a reminder of holiness, and it's a warning of the coming judgment. Get under God's pavilion. Nobody wants to hear the true voice of God, but in this next season, he's going to commission and send people to speak it. And this is not a hoop and holler and jump around and make you feel good because this is what they're going to think of you for it. But nevertheless, your will be done. Whether it comes from a man or a woman, Because he said, my daughters will prophesy. Or rather, it comes from God himself. They don't want to hear it, but you have to speak it because God's justice demands that we do. Because before judgment can follow, it says that before he does anything, we complain it's so bad, nothing's happening. It's so bad, nothing's happening. It's so bad, nothing's happening. You're not doing your part. He says, I do nothing unless I declare it unto my servants, the prophets first. You have to speak the warning for the judgment to be just. And we don't want judgment. Your hope is always revival. Because if they heed the warning, they get revival. That's what Nineveh got. That's what Jonah did. But if they don't, they get wrath. And in judgment, there is still always mercy. As long as you are alive, if it brings you to repentance. I talked to a girl here not long ago and we talked and I told her that, you know, he was about to come to a head that God was giving her a way of escape. He loved her and he was reaching for her and that if she didn't take it, things were going to get really bad and and the hardship was going to come. But even in that hardship, there is mercy because he's still reaching out for you. She didn't heed it. And so a few days ago, I went visit her in prison and I reminded her and she said, you're right. I said, but it's still his love and his mercy. Because if judgment leads you to repentance, she said, I'm grateful for it. So sometimes the judgment, though we think it's so bad, if it brings us to our knees, it's worth it. So nevertheless, not my will, but God's will be done. But remember that he delights in mercy. So he always hopes. He hopes even for the one or two out of the multitude that will hear and receive. So be willing to speak the truth no matter what people think of you for it. The Bible also said is given unto the prophets to announce the times and the seasons. And really that's what we're doing today more than anything, because it has to be spoken for it to be released. And we're going into a new season. Remember that when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, they didn't know who he was. And he said, you can discern the weather and everything else, but you can't discern the seasons. He said, you look for a sign. You look for mighty miracles. You look for all of these things. He said, you will get nothing but the sign of the prophet Jonah. What was the sign of the prophet Jonah? A crazy man in the wilderness crying, repent, repent, because judgment's coming. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make your crooked way straightest. That is the function of a true prophet. We could just put it to rest right now because the world thinks of prophets as these people that just come and give you a bunch of words and make you feel good and tell you you're going to be rich and you're going to have all these wonderful things. That's not a biblical prophet. If what they're saying is true, then it's a word of knowledge. It's not even prophecy. But most times it's not true. It's just flatter and fluff. The true function of the prophet was to warn that judgment was coming, and bring a way of repentance. That's why Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest prophet the world had ever known. He did no miracles. He preached repentance, which is the greatest miracle when it's received. The blowing of the shofar signifies the end of something. It's always blown at the end of the year. And by proxy, the beginning of something new. So God's about to bring a very big ending to a long season. And what we're doing today is is closing some things out to make sure we go into the new one right. Because when something ends, something else begins. Whether it's a season, a dispensation, an age, or a contract. Remember that Rosh Hashanah is the legal new year. So today we need to break some contracts. Because you don't want to start another season still bound to the things from the past. Amen. And more than anything... It's blown to awaken the hearer unto repentance. It's blown to call the people together. In this season, I see God gathering the remnant on a larger scale than previously seen. The remnant is the true church, the real bride. It also announces war, danger, but also victory and triumph. During the Feast of Blast or Rosh Hashanah specifically, It is done as an enactment of the coordination of God as judge. That's the significance for the Jews. They see Rosh Hashanah. They're seeing, we see Jesus, and we we have this Americanized Jesus, you know, dancing with flowers and all of this stuff, but Rosh Hashanah is a reminder that God is a judge. They see God as a judge, and they blow the trumpets to announce the king is here, and he's here as judge. Little side note, they see the devil as the prosecution and us as the defendant that's there trying to defend ourselves against the accusations of the accuser, and God is there our judge. But we have another man in the fight because we have an advocate. We have Jesus speaking on our behalf. I can say that going through this this study and realizing the way God parallels it in these feast days has shown me one thing above all, God's great mercy in repentance how much he desires our repentance, how much opportunity he gives us for repentance. I'm going to get into it in a little bit, but there's actually a 29-day month, a period called Elul, leading up to it where every day he's giving you opportunity for repentance. He gives us so much space and so much time, but eventually that time does run out. It runs out on individuals, it runs out on nations, and it runs out eventually for the whole world. So we have to take it seriously. God is coming. There is a judgment. And there is a hell. And even if we never see that day in our lifetime, one day you're going to draw your last breath and it's going to be the same thing. It's coming for everyone. The biggest problem in the church today is that there's no more fear of God because the church doesn't know him as the judge. I've heard it said that the Jews missed Jesus Because they were expecting him to come as a lion, but he came as a lamb. But the Christians are going to miss him because they're expecting him to come as a lamb, but he's coming as a lion. Go to Proverbs 16, verse 5. It says, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination unto the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. By mercy and triumph, iniquity is purged. But by the fear of the Lord, man departs from evil. God is merciful, and he gives us a way of escape. But until we recognize the need that he is a judge and get the fear of the Lord, we don't ever seek that way of escape. Proverbs 14, 25 says, A true witness delivereth souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, to depart from the snares of death. Remember this always in your ministry, because God told me he was going to send the people that he wanted to hear this message, that it applied to. So if you're here, it applies to you. He's going to send you. He's going to use you. But always remember that the true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. Speak the truth, even if they hate you for it. In Sunday school, we were reading Paul's account where he was saying that everybody was ashamed of him because he was thrown in prison. But nevertheless, he was determined to speak the truth. Speak the truth. It doesn't matter how many people, friends or followers you gain or you lose. Speak the truth, because if you save one's soul, it's worth it. But if you just fall into the the tactic to speak what they want to hear, to speak the lies... It's deceitful, and it will damn souls to hell, and you'll have blood on your hands. So wherever you go, no matter how much they hate you for it, speak the truth. Not in arrogance, not in pride, not in condemnation, in love and in humility, but speak the truth nonetheless. This holiday is a yearly reminder for the Jews that God is coming as judge and that we need to make sure that we are in right standing when he gets here. In fact, it's very interesting because in the Jewish culture, they believe that when the Bible says and their their text says that God writes down everything in his book of remembrance and on the last day he will open the book of remembrance, they don't see that as a continual everyday thing. They see that as a seasonal thing, that at the end of the year, God has given you space to repent. He's given you that time of reflection to make sure to search your heart and see, have I done things right? Have I cared for people? Have I... If I prayed for my enemy or whatever? And the things that you messed up on, you've repented from. That's what he records in the book at the end of the year. He doesn't just record every bad thing you do. He records, okay, they made a mistake. They learned from it and they repented. This is what they get recorded for this year. So for them, it was so important to make sure that they spent a time of self-reflection before they went into the new season. To make sure that they went in clean. Because you don't want to go in compounding the sins of the last season. There's a couple of symbolic foods that they always eat during Rosh Hashanah. Apples dipped in honey is the most prevalent. Uh, It represents sweetness. It represents going into the new year and having a sweet new year. For me, when I see it, though we know that the fruit in the garden is not listed as an apple, but it is still the typology that many use for it, the fact that it's dipped in honey and made sweet reminds me of Joseph when his brothers came to him and said that, you know, you're going to kill us now because... We tried to kill you. And he said, no, what you meant for harm, God meant it for good. So when I see that apple dipped in honey, I think personally of all of the sins done against me that God turned for the good, that God made sweet, that God turned into lessons, that God turned into messages and blessings. So we need to reflect on the season pass and all of the things done to us and see it for the good that came out of it and not for the hurt that it caused us because you don't want to bring offense to the next season. And God had me make a wedding cake for the anniversaries and for him, because this is celebrating the return of Christ as the bridegroom, and we are the bride. So we, and when we eat, we're going to have a wedding cake in the back, and the inside of the cake is apples and honey, because that's what he wanted. And it is very uneasy to level a cake with chunks of apple in between the slices. <laughs> but the Lord is my helper and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So to let you know, there is some symbolic food back there. So we are having kind of our own little ceremony today. But most importantly, it's the end of the legal year. It's the time when contracts are closed. It's the time to make and break and end and conclude contracts because it's also the time when contracts come to their term. And you'll see that in this season, what we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks is a lot of contracts coming to term. A lot of promises that God made. God's about to release the breakthrough, the answer, the promises, if that's the contract you're in. But if you have offense or if you have made contracts with the enemy, that comes to terms also. But God in his mercy, he gives you a time to get out of that contract. And that's what today is really all about. That's the importance of making sure that we get out of any wrong agreements with the enemy because we want all the blessing, but we don't want the judgments. God works through legalities. The world likes to say, oh, that's legalism. I'm sorry, God is a judge. Come on, sister. He works in legalities. And the law is not abolished. In fact, if you have not chosen the way of escape from it, you're actually still under the law. So sinners are still under the law. Jesus gives us a way of escape from it. Remember, God came down and he gave those commandments as a wedding vow. That was a marriage covenant it was a way of escape but they said no give us a man so he sent a man to give us another way a better way but you still have to choose to get in covenant with him to marry him to be that faithful bride so that you can be under his hoopah, his protection his covering if our faith was not a legal system jesus would not have had to have died to fulfill the law he can't steal we have some horses that somebody put next to our property, and they put these horses there on a rope, and they kept getting tangled up around things, and it was triple-digit heat, and they had no water. So all day, I would be going over there and untangling these horses. They didn't belong to me. When I saw that they were in such bondage that it was dangerous to their life, because I was kind, I would go and help them out of their bondage. But they were still on a rope. They weren't totally free because they didn't belong to me. And that's kind of like the sinner. They think that they're saved sometimes because God in his goodness and kindness and mercy sometimes helps them out or answers a prayer or gets them out of a hard bondage. But they're like, why can't I ever break free totally from this bondage? It's because there has never been a transfer of ownership. For me to truly set those horses free, I would have to purchase them from their cruel master because if not, I would be stealing them, which is unjust. Jesus, God, could not steal us because we had made ourselves legally binding servants to Satan. He couldn't just come and take us because that would be theft and that would be unjust. He has to work through legalities, through the law, so he had to purchase us. There had to be a transfer of ownership before they could truly be set free from that bondage and put into a good place. For those poor horses, our pasture would be the promised land, and probably one day it will be. Daddy's like, no, 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 no. No more horses. No more rescue animals. It's going to happen. The Lord hath spoken. All right, but I say this to help you understand, to grasp the contract, the legality. It's not biblical, and it's not Christian, and it's not logical to say that Christianity is not legal. It's legal. It's binding. In fact, there's many times when we're doing deliverance when you have to ask the, the person you know, the the spirit that's in them, what is your legal access? And when the person identifies what was the access point that gave that spirit access, they renounce it, they repent of it, and they're set free. But until they do that, they're never fully set free because it has a legal right to be there when you're in agreement, when you have contract, when you're in sin. Jesus said that if you serve sin, you make yourself the servant of sin. You make him your master. You sign the contract. And the contract holder holds you. There are things that you want to be free from and today we have to deal with this because Rosh Hashanah is the time when contracts are canceled or finished or they come to term. So right now in Israel they're dealing with a lot of legal work but right now in the spiritual God wants to deal with some legal work. He wants to break some contracts and the devil's sneaky. He'll get you to sign them in ways you never thought. Spiritually the things that I think that bind us to these contracts of course we know unrepented sin obvious sins but the things as Christians and especially those in ministry that it gets you with the most are things like hurts offenses, woundedness disappointment, unbelief those things you don't think of but it still gets you in agreement with the enemy because you got disappointed so now you have an offense against God and you don't even realize it or because you got wounded so now you have an offense against a person and you didn't really realize it. You haven't really dealt with it. It's contracts. Jesus said, you have to break that contract before you can be in contract with me. God is bringing us into a new beginning and he doesn't want us taking those old access points from the enemy into it. He wants you free from it so it doesn't affect your thought process anymore. He's ready to close these doors. It's time to be healed from the wounds of Egypt so it doesn't poison your promise because there's still an access point for the enemy. It's a way that Pharaoh is still controlling you. I think this was the Israelites' biggest problem. They were under Pharaoh so long. They were under that system so long. They were wounded so much. They were used to it so much. They carried that into the wilderness and they still allowed it to control them from a distance. And sometimes we're saved and we're brought out from under that old bondage, but we're so wounded from the things that the devil did to us in that old life that we carry that connection with us, and it's time to break it. Especially people who were wounded when they were children, people who were wounded in the ministry, people that were wounded. This is wounds that happened a lot of times before you were saved, but you never released it. So he's still controlling you from Egypt, and God can't bring it into the promise. That's why he kept waiting and waiting. God's ready to bring us into promise. It's the 40th anniversary. It's a wedding day. He wants to move us. The king is here. But you got to deal with the wounds of Egypt, or it'll poison the promise. Because we'll be a door that the enemy steps through. It's a breach in the wall. God wants to make all things new, not part of you. All things. So it's time to end some contracts. Because if you don't, then eventually the terms of the contract come due and Rosh Hashanah is also the time for that too. It's a time of judgment, not because he wants to, but because we didn't take all of the ways of escape that he gave us. It's judgment day, but it's also a reward for the righteous. It's a time when promises come to fruition. So to emphasize again, we're not saved by rituals. We understand that. But God never instituted these things for that purpose anyway. They were never meant to save anyone. They were meant to teach us. They were meant to remind us. And it's actually the way God talks to us. So it teaches you to hear his voice all the more because God talks to us through these things, these things that we go through, that we enact. When I made the wedding cake yesterday, I told him last night in prayer, that God was revealing things and talking to me through the process of making the cake. God brings you through things to teach you. And that's what these things are for. So as we go through some of these teachings and rituals, we understand that it's not about the ritual. It's about the message that he's bringing through these things. So I have to tell you a little bit about Elul because today is the last day of Elul. At 6 o'clock this evening, Elul ends. It's the closing of that season. And Rosh Hashanah begins, which is the beginning of judgment or the beginning of blessing and celebration for those who are prepared for the return of the king. It's good things for the righteous, but it's weeping and gnashing of teeth for the unready. For 29 days leading up to Rosh Hashanah is the month of Elul. It's a time of purification through self examination and repentance. It's a time to reflect and examine yourself, not so much to see how you changed the season that you're about to exit, but to see how the season changed you. What did you learn? Where did you fail? And these are questions we have to ask ourselves. And I know all of us here have been praying because we've talked about it on Saturday nights and asking the Lord, show me, show me. And he's shown us all a lot of things that we otherwise didn't see. I encourage you to take it back to kindergarten Christianity and pray, God, show me what I need to repent of. Even when you think you're in right standing, show me things, Lord, that are hindering me. Show me, and he will show you in undeniable ways. He's pulled stuff up from all of our past in crazy, crazy ways to show us, hey, look, there's still an offense about that. He wants a bride that is purified, perfect, made right, that believes him enough and anticipates. The closer you get to your wedding day, you don't get more lazy. You start working harder and harder to get things ready for that day. The church has gotten lazy. It's not living in expectation. I don't think it really believes that the bridegroom is coming. What did you learn in this last season? Where did you fail? How did you grow? Where did you get hard or cold? What lessons do you need to carry with you into the next seasons, and which ones do you need to let go? What emotions, what agreements, what contracts with the enemy need to be shed and left for dead in this dying season? The shofar is blown every morning during the month of Elul to awaken the hearer to the reality of the coming judgment and the dire need for repentance, that you need to do whatever it takes to end the old contracts before the terms come due and it's counted against you. Elul is a time of humbling because he will show you your sins and your failures even when you don't think that they're there. It's humbling yourself and saying, God, show me where I messed up. Show me where I messed up. I messed up a lot making this cake. But by the end of it, I finally figured it out. And so the next time I do it, I'll have it down. It'll be easy. We'll be able to go. The things we went through in the last season, we made a lot of mistakes. But if you learn from it, the next season that you go through will be a lot more smooth. You can do what he's called you to do. You can do it right. Elul is meant to refocus us on repentance, prayer, and charity. These are the things that the Jews focus on during that 29-day period. Have I been prayerful? Have I repented of my sins? And have I been charitable to those in need? Which if you look at Jesus, he said when he returns, that's what he's going to look for. He's going to separate the goat from the sheep. And what's the difference between the goats and the sheep? The sheep are the ones that visited those in prison, that fed the hungry and clothed the naked and did all of these things. that showed forth the love of Christ. And I can say that in the last 29 days, though we do these things regularly, God has made such an extended opportunity for us to be in obedience to this because we've had so many chances, so many people more reaching out with need or to go and visit. There was a situation a week or two ago where there was a, a guy who ran short on food and so mama comes and she's like, you know, we'd get him some food, and we didn't have—it was in between checks—so we emptied out our, our cabinets, our pantry, and we brought it to him. Well, the next day, without anybody knowing that, a fisherman in the area sent us a whole bunch of fish. That's God's economy. He takes your pop tarts and gives you fresh fish. I mean, you can't outgive God. So, you know, be charitable. It really is God's heart to be charitable. You cannot outgive God. He will always give back more. The Bible says that when Jesus comes, will he find faith on the earth? I think he looks for these three things, repentant hearts, prayerfulness, and charity, because those three things are driven by faith, and it proves faith. If you truly have faith, those are the things you're going to thrive in. Rosh Hashanah is followed by Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. The high priest goes, and they In times past would sacrifice a lamb sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat say a prayer and atone for the sins of the people Jesus is our atonement because we understand that the scripture says that no flesh no sin can enter into heaven and since every man had sin no one could go into heaven to deliver a true atonement to the mercy seat which really is the throne of God the temple or the tabernacle was really just a scale version it says he showed Moses what it looked like and he built a scale version. Jesus dies without sin, the only man since the fall of man to die without sin. So he's the first one who's able to get into heaven no sin. So he brings the blood of his own sacrifice to the real mercy seat and atones for the people, a true atonement, a real high priest. Jesus has accomplished this already. But I love it that at the end of the year, we have repentance, and then we have the judgment seat. And then we have atonement. But that's at the beginning of the year. But it's at the end of the year. That's because he was slain from the foundations of the world, the beginning and the end. It's understanding these um, feast days to meet all the more cements the validity of Jesus. So we see Elul as repentant. Then Rosh Hashanah, the terms and contracts or end it. That's what Jesus did. He fulfilled the terms of the contract. Because we sinned, he died. He fulfilled the terms of the original contract and gave us a new contract that we might escape the judgment and then atonement. We see this same parallel played out in that John the Baptist was sent to preach repentance, then Passover and crucifixion, the time of breaking that contract, of ending it and getting us into a new contract and then atonement which is where our new life begins. And I think the gospel has to be brought back to this, and when you preach it, you have to remember this, that it comes with repentance, then the blood, atonement, then the new life. People are not being born again. They're being brought into congregations. They're being committed to churches and businesses and organizations, but they're not being born again. The born again is a change. If you're not changed, you're not born again. There has to be a change, and it begins with repentance. And I think more than anything, God is crying out, preach repentance. They're missing it. They're missing it. They're missing it. They're not breaking the old contract. How can we come into a new contract? If you're not divorced from the enemy, you can't marry the king. The groom is coming. The bride needs to be ready. But many that think they're the bride are still married to the Antichrist. You don't have to go there, but in Luke 23, verse 13, uh, Pontius Pilate pronounces that Jesus is innocent and he has done nothing worthy of death. That was a prophetic proclamation because sin brings death. He had never sinned. He did nothing worthy of death. So actually when the devil killed him, he broke the contract and had to be judged. Jesus said the king of this world is now judged. He sinned. He got out of the legal right standing. He did what was wrong. He killed a man without sin. Without sin, there should have been no death. So then he was able to take us back. That's a checkmate. He did a wonderful thing. The devil is not so cunning. Not against our king anyway. But Elul is a time of self-searching. It's also an acronym for the Song of Solomon where it says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. So in the Jewish culture, it's a time of weddings. So when Mama and Christy got married in Elul, they didn't know that, but that is a time of celebrating weddings in the Jewish culture. So today we celebrate a wedding. We celebrate our king. It's a time for the bride to ready herself and make herself white in preparation for those who are married to or in covenant with the devil. It's an opportunity to get out of that contract and to get into covenant with God before the judgment, he gives a 29-day ultimatum showing how merciful God really is. Now, in the prophetic sense, we are fulfilling, I believe, Elul right now. We understand these things come once a year to teach, but then eventually it comes for real. But I think Elul is, right now, it's the church age. The grace period between the judgment that passed over us at Calvary and the one that is still coming in the end. Remember, Jesus drank the cup of our judgment. He became our husband, the one that was rejected when the first marriage proposal came at Mount Sinai, and they said, send us a man, so he sent Jesus. He gives another proposal, a wedding cup. The cup of communion is a cup of engagement in the Jewish culture. The disciples drank of it. They became the bride of Christ. They were engaged. The church becomes engaged So then Jesus being our husbandman, is able to cover us to stand in the way of our judgment and to die for us. Now, having done that, it didn't stop the judgment, not for everyone. It gave a way of escape from it. The judgment should have come then for those who were here when we did the lesson on the last days. That's when the judgment should have come. It gave us more time. It passed over us, but not forever. There's still a judgment coming jesus is our way of escape from it but the world forgets that there's a judge and there's a judgment coming and god is giving an ultimatum and he does it out of mercy so i think in the prophetic sense we are in elul right now passover has happened pentecost has happened the next is elul the church age the time of repentance it's also the time of harvest and then after that rosh hashanah the judgment It's a time of preparation, and it's also known to the Jews as a time when the king is in the field. I love that. During Elul, which is where we are now, and I believe prophetically, we are coming to the end of it. Right now, where we're standing physically, today is the last day of Elul. It switches at 6 o'clock this evening, but I think prophetically, we're at the last day also. The time is running out, and it's about to switch into judgment. It's known as the time when the harvest is ripe and the laborers are few, but the king is in the field. Remember, the Bible says, pray for the Lord of the harvest, that he will come and he will bring laborers. We need to pray to Jesus, who is the Lord of the harvest, that he will send laborers out into the field while there is yet time. To the Jews, Elul is known as the time when the king has left his throne and comes into the field to draw close to us. Is that not what Christ did Elul is playing out right now. We're in the church age, and that's what it is. We're standing in the very, very, very end of it. But for those who are ready and in right standing, it's also a great day of celebrating. We remember the story of the wise and foolish virgins. There were some that made themselves ready and some that didn't. The church is in this place. The judgment is coming, and there are some that are not prepared for the marriage supper. Judgment comes individually, corporately, nationally, and eventually globally, but regardless, it's coming. If it came tomorrow, which is Rosh Hashanah, Judgment Day, if it came, are you ready for it? If it came to you individually, if it came to your city, if it came to your nation, if it came to the world, are you ready for it? Because the Jews believe that the resurrection of the dead will happen on Rosh Hashanah. And biblically, it lines up, too, because it says Jesus is going to come at the sound of the last trump. What I did a while ago is the last trump. It's the feast of trumpets. And the last one announces the king. Now, we know that no man knows the day or the hour, but God does work these ways. And it's a reminder to be prepared for it. What if? What if? This is what God wants you to seriously ask yourself today. Are you ready? Have you kept believing? Did you stop believing? Did you think it was over? Did you think all was quiet? Because I think that's what the church has done. I think they gung-ho right out of Pentecost. I think they pressed through. I think they thought it was going to happen a couple of times. And then I think they got tired and they said, okay, I'm going to do my own thing. Danny's message about the, fish, about the the disciples after Jesus died, when he came back, he found them fishing. They were like, well, I guess it's over with. We don't know what to do. We're just going to go back to what we used to do. They went back fishing. I think the church is fishing not for souls, probably more for prosperity, but they went back and they weren't fighting. They weren't praying. They weren't pressing through. They weren't waiting. God's going to do what he said he was going to do. He gives us a chance. He gives us a chance. And I think I had even told Devin and them this at the revival, whenever um, God had told me that whenever we get up and whenever we sang the song, my Messiah, he was going to step in and do something, but I didn't know what he was going to do. You know, you always hope for the the glorious well, right when we start singing that song, it starts pouring down rain. I'm like, oh, okay. Elijah, here we go. Shut up the heavens. So we got everybody praying, pronouncing, declaring, and the rain stopped. Oh, they were excited. They were on fire. They were gung-ho. A couple of hours later, they had stopped praying, but then the rain came again, and everybody ran. And I told Brother Devin, I said, you know, I feel like God is giving a demonstration. Right now, while the people are praying, the enemy's being pushed back. But if they don't keep praying, it's still coming. The judgment's still coming. When they stop praying, the enemy's going to push back in. It's still coming. And I think that the church is so lazy, they won't keep praying. They want cheerleaders. They want pacifiers. They want nannies. But they don't want to be warriors and continue to fight the fight like that horn that Brother Chris blew when it was continually striking the ground. And so it's not over with. And I believe that's really what he's saying more than anything, Rosh Hashanah's coming. Hey, praise the Lord for those who are ready. It is glorious, it's a celebration. In fact, Rosh Hashanah is a time of celebration. But it's also a time of making sure you're ready. You're ready for it. It's payday. The terms are coming due. Promises? Are come and do they're going to come to you but so are the judgments so when jesus steps in we want to be found rejoicing we don't want to be found with those who are mourning because we want to know that we've been made ready we've not been bowing to the idols remember the reason that they refused to let god be their king in the wilderness is because they didn't want to stop bowing to their idols they didn't want to give up those things they said i don't want to hear you i don't want to hear you That's what the church is doing. But in this room, we need to determine, God, I hear you. I hear you. I'm getting rid of the idols because if not, you're married to the Antichrist. And you're going to fall outside of the protection. Don't be like those Israelites. It's time to hear the voice, the trumpet, the thunder, and repent. On the 29th day, which is today, in prayer, after morning prayers, they recite, Hatarat Nadrim. And it literally translates to the nullification of vows. And this is what the Lord is is kind of bringing full circle here. On the final day, which is right now, they do a nullification of vows. And this is what we're going to do today. We're going to break contracts with the devil that he has made over our lives, over our families, and over our lands. God is going to change everything if you believe and let him do this. He's going to set some people free. Like Danny's preached last week about the spirit of Antichrist, today it's time to divorce, to nullify the vows. No more idols, no more agreement with hell after today. We repent, we break agreement, we end the contract or the terms of the condition will be fulfilled in judgment. God is giving us one last chance. But today, for those who do, is a day of celebrating and rejoicing that our bridegroom has made a way of escape. Now, we understand that some contracts can be broken with a spoken word, but some are legally binding unto death, like a marriage vow or the law of sin and death. So you can't technically break those contracts. It legal, it's legally binding in the courts of heaven, and you have to fulfill the terms of them. So how do we fulfill the terms of those contracts? Jesus said that he came to fulfill, not to destroy, but he also came to be our example. Because when we are willing to be crucified, With Christ. We die. We fulfill the term of the contract. That old man, that person who broke the law, dies and we are raised in newness of life. That new person is not bound to the old person. That's why Paul said that to get out of a marriage, the other person has to die. He said that if that person dies, then you're not bound to it anymore and you can marry someone new. He was talking about being married to Christ, who you were. Has to die. You've got to give up your will, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. You've got to give up that thing inside you that says, I want, I feel. You've got to repent. It always comes back to repentance. Be willing to die and fulfill the terms of the contract. He came to give us a way of escape. Jesus made the way. It's not as hard as we think. If we die, we then can live again, be born new, fresh, pure, Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow after him. Our altar calls today don't work because they feed the flesh when Jesus' altar call was meant to kill it. The church today offers fleshly promises of wealth, materialism, physical blessings, a God that will serve you if you come to his altar. What God is that? That's the Antichrist. It's the Antichrist's altar. The altar of God is where you come to decide to serve God even if it costs you all of those things. Jesus' altar call said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. See, that was the thing that had the rich young ruler's heart bound up. Jesus was saying, break the contract, divorce the idol, and you can come and serve me. You can't be in covenant with God and with the devil at the same time. You can't be married to both burn the idols or you'll burn with the idols. We also need to cancel contracts that we hold against others. This is the time when Jubilee begins in the year of Jubilee. It's a time of ending contracts. So for us, that means that we have to choose to forgive. You've got to tear up the IOUs, tear up the contracts, those who have hurt you. If you're still waiting for them to make it right, you haven't forgiven them. You have to tear up the contracts, tear up the IOUs, let it go. Forgive them. Leave it in the wilderness because you can't carry it into promise or you're going to pollute the promise. God's about to release something, but he wants you to release things that don't need to come with you into it. God doesn't hold us accountable for our debts. Don't hold others accountable for theirs. Release others of their debts. Repent of vanity, pride, lack of charity, lack of prayerfulness and submission, lack of love and compassion for your enemies. I think for us in the church it's important to remember that we have to love our enemies and not just say it, but actually do it and believe it. That means political enemies also, cuz they're the easiest to hate. Churches, family, friend, everyone who has come against us, we've got to forgive. Don't bring it in to what's coming. Now let's flip it around. If you are the one that did the wrong things. It's also time to break contract with your guilt. Don't bring it in to the new covenant, to the new contract. I recently did a message on the family of God and what he's really doing is trying to bring people out of that old family with the cruel master, which was Satan, into a good family, his family. We're bringing people into a good family and there's unity within the family. Yes, there's holiness and separation from the wickedness of that cruel master and that other family, but there should be unity within the family. But sometimes when there's squabble, sometimes when we mess up, sometimes when things go wrong, even if the others have forgiven us, we have not forgiven ourselves and that guilt keeps a division within the family. You see this in Joseph's brothers. Joseph had forgiven them. They had been 14 years where the father was alive And they had all been together after they were reunited in Egypt. The whole story's over. But you see, 14 years later, when the father dies, the brothers say, oh, he was just being nice to us because he didn't want to break dad's heart when he killed us. So we need to go and beg for mercy. And so they go and they beg for mercy. And Joseph says, what you meant to do was for harm. But God meant it for good, to save many people alive. God had a reason in it. God turned it for the good. So he held no bitterness. And from that moment on, they became a real family. Though they had been together, there wasn't unity because they were still fearing the retaliation. They were still carrying the guilt of their sin. Joseph forgave them, but more than anything, they had to release that so that they could be in unity again. And I think this is a big issue in the church also. Not only do we need to forgive, but we need to release our mistakes. God uses it for a learning, for a growing. Move on. Bless others with it. Don't hold on to it. Leave it in the wilderness. The lost are looking for a family, and for the most part, they're not finding it. We hear it time and time again from those that we minister to all over. They say, oh, I love your church. It feels like family. It feels like home. It just feels safe. We said it last night in in the prayer meeting, so it just feels like sitting up late at grandma's house. It's, It's family. And that's what the world is really looking for because when you're under the yoke of the enemy, you're in a cruel family. Bring them to the real family, but there has to be unity within the family. So these are things that we have got to deal with. On the time of Elul, there's a daily prayer and proclamation that's made. Go ahead and pull up Psalms 27. We don't have a whole lot left. When we did our in-home Bible study Friday night, Jaden did a random open. He's like, I did a random open, and I think God wants me to read it. And he started preaching my sermon. I had to shut him down. (laughs) (laughs) But it was God, because during this month of Elul leading up to Rosh Hashanah, every day they read Psalms chapter 27 as a prayer and proclamation. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to read the first six verses because it's beautiful and it's encouraging and it reminds us of who God truly is as our husbandman. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Even in the face of utter judgment and destruction, what shall we fear? When the enemy rushes in like a flood against us, when all of hell comes against us, what shall we fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes come up Upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, his hoopah, under his covering in that marriage covenant. He will take care of us. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. With singing, I will. I will sing and praise the Lord. Praises unto the Lord and this is what I want us to leave with today that mindset that we are going to pray we're going to get in right standing we're going to leave all of those things behind us in the wilderness and we're going to step into the new beginning with joy with rejoicing with the marriage celebration knowing that no matter what comes if the whole nation falls apart around you you are under the pavilion of the Lord and there is peace and there is protection and there is purpose even when he sends you forth to speak what nobody wants to hear and to release those things that will cause them to have fear and hate you like it did for Jeremiah, it's okay. Because my presence of the Lord is with me. For David, he said that he wanted to be in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. But the Lord lives in us, so that equates to his presence. That's where the power is. That's where the peace is. On the afternoon of the first day of Rosh Hashanah, which is going to be tomorrow afternoon, most Jews go out to a flowing body of water like a river and pray. I'm not telling you you have to do this. We don't mandate anything in this church, but I'm going to do it for symbolism. They go to a flowing body of water. For me, it's going to be the Achafaliah, and they cast off their sins, and they do it symbolically by throwing either bread or rocks into the water, and they quote the verse that says, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. They repent, and then they throw it away. In fact, Elizabeth didn't even know this, but there was a time when her phone was causing her to stumble and connect with wrong people, so she threw it in the river. <laughs> That's actually part of the custom that you cast your sins. So today we do celebrate the closing of a season and a fresh start into a new one. For those who learn the lessons of this wilderness, get ready to step out of it. For those who didn't, get ready to restart it. But it's still a good thing because it's a new beginning. Let him take you back to the beginning, follow his leading, learn the lessons that will prepare you for the next season. If you're in right standing, then you don't have to be afraid when you stand at the end of all things. It's Like when I made my cake, you learn your lessons. You can be joyful and celebrate the new beginning and what's coming because Jesus is in it. Whether it's the changing of a season of your life, your own personal death and passing into glory, or the end of all things. When you're in right standing, you can be excited for what's coming. And we're gonna to close today with this because I think it's very encouraging. Uh, go to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9. In the Jewish culture, whenever they do go to the river, which would be tomorrow evening, when they go to the river and they pray that repentance and they cancel all of those contracts and they just throw those stones in, they recite this passage. Um, And I'm going to read it to you. It says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. That's our Jesus. This is what the Jews are professing every year at this time. They are professing our Jesus. There's coming the root of Jesse. Which shall stand for a sign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek. That's us. And his rest shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. The second time to recover his people from the judgment. Because Jesus did it once before, but he's going to do it again. Which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros? and from Cush, and from Elam, and from Shinar, and from Hamath, and from the isles of the sea. And he shall set up a sign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And he shall set up a sign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the the dispersed of Judah he says it twice for emphasis from the four corners of the earth the envy also of Ephraim shall depart those who have been dealing with that spirit of envy coming against you and the adversities of Judah shall be cut off Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not vex Ephraim But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines towards the west. They shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab. And the children of Ammon shall obey them. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And with the mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river. And shall smite it in the seven streams. And make men go over dry land. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. This passage speaks of revival, evangelism, forgiveness, unity, and God making a way where there is no way. It speaks of the removing of that which prevents access to his promise, like when he dried up a river to make a road in the wilderness for the Israelites. This is what I see for the next season. But ultimately, what this next season holds for you depends on your level of submission and commitment and agreement with Jesus. I know for me personally and so did affect some of the people in the church. He told me that He said, you were faithful to fight for the individual. You were faithful to fight for cities. So in the next season, I'm going to send you to fight for nations. So intercession team, Saturday night people, the battle's widening. We pray for bigger territories. I know that's impossible, but impossible is what he does. And we've seen him do it over and over again. So to this house, I say that this ministry was built upon humility and holiness in Papa's time and on repentance and the return of Jesus in mom and daddy's time. These things have to remain. The Lord says, strengthen that which remains. To the intercession team, our main antagonist in the last season was that Jezebel spirit. That was our fight nearly all the way through. That was actually a national fight. We didn't realize we were fighting at the time, but now we see what it was. But I say that in the next season, the war will be more against the spirit of Antichrist and Baal himself. So get ready. He's already started the messages on it, so we know it's coming. But this is how God works. He works in seasons, each training and equipping you and proving your validity for increase in the next season. Yes, increased power. Yes, increased blessing. Yes, increased territory. Yes, increased battles. That's what it's about. Increased grace and increased opposition. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. The more sin you're fighting against, the more grace he'll give you to do it. God always speaks the end from the beginning. He always releases a promise at the beginning. Then the devil rushes in to try to steal it from you. So when it seems impossible, remember, impossible is what he does. There's still a shaking coming. I know we've prayed and we've warred, and God took us from the brink of flooding with hurricanes and the devil and everything coming against us and we all got that word about Passover and yes, the Lord worked a miracle. Judgment passed over us because we should have flooded. Baton Rouge should have flooded. The weathermen were saying it's a battle in the sky. We don't understand what's going on. We don't, yes, a judgment passed over but there's still a judgment coming. All that does is give you more time to win more souls, to focus on saving one more There's still a shaking coming to this nation. So prepare your heart and position yourselves in submission to be used for it. God speaks the end from the beginning, so the battle's already won. Let him build your faith for what's to come, that he can make a way where there is no way. He'll make rivers in the desert and paths in the wilderness to accomplish it. And remember this thing also. The scripture says that the latter rain begins... In the first month, when does the first month begin at Rosh Hashanah? Today we stand at the last day and the last hours of the last month. And I think that prophetically we stand in the last day and the last hours and the last minutes of the last dispensation of this world. But so when the new begins, when the judgment begins, when things get hard, that is when the latter rain begins. The world's waiting for this big, glorious revival. They're waiting for this big party, this big show. They're waiting for what looks like the world. They're waiting for a good time. But that's not what the word says. The latter rain starts when things get rough. Yes, there is a revival. It's a revival of the remnant. It's a revival of coming back to the truth. It's a revival of finding Jesus, who is the reviver. There is a revival coming. Gather the remnant. Gather the remnant. So let us pray. God, we know this is a little different. This is not what we're used to. It's not a normal preach. It's not even a normal teach, but you have purpose in what you're doing and what you're releasing. So God, we thank you for this past season, Lord. We seek your face, your mercy, and your grace. We search our hearts, and we say, Lord, do what only you can do. Lord, show us the places that we have failed you. Show us where we have not loved our enemies. Show us Lord, where we have gotten off track. Show us where we have been distracted. Show us where we've been caught up by idols and by that antichrist system and that other lover. Show us, Lord, we want to repent. Lord, I pray that you take away every bit of offense in us, Lord. We pray for forgiveness and we choose to forgive, Lord. We lay down every hurt that the enemy has done to us or caused others to do to us. And we say, thank you, Lord, that what the enemy meant for harm, you use it for the good, to give us a testimony, to give us power. You take. That old apple, you dip it in honey and you make something sweet about it, Lord. God, we choose to lay down guilt right now. We lay it all down. The mistakes that we've made, the things we've gotten off track, you love us. And you give such a space of repentance. You cry out to us, God. We choose you. We want to be found in right standing when you do what it is that you're about to do, God. We pray for those miracles. We pray for breakthrough we pray for the impossible because impossible is what you do god but we want to close this season out in right standing with you so god we say that we believe in jesus we break every lie of the enemy we break every covenant that we have made with him we repent of giving him time and energy lord of chasing other things god we come before you humbly and we love you we say yes to the marriage covenant. We want to be here a bride dressed in white who's still waiting for you that hasn't gone chasing after every other thing and every other lover. We're still waiting by the well. We're still abiding. We're still believing that you are coming in all of your majesty. And today we're going to celebrate it. We're going to celebrate you. We're going to love on you. This is all for you because you're the one that really matters. In the end, you're going to step in to win the fight. Today, We want to be the bride at your side that just says, I love you and thank you. Thank you, God, that you were willing to speak to us through a man, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you were willing to speak to us on that mountain in trumpet blast, though we were unworthy and even rejected it. So often do we reject your voice and your words for the counterfeits of the enemy. God, we repent of it. We've put our hearts on you. And God, we're going to close this season out. And submission with our mind, our emotions, all of it laid aside, saying thank you for everything you've brought us through, the good and the bad, the hard and the easy, the blessing and the lessings. God, we thank you for it all, because it all has purpose and value in your kingdom if we learn from it. Lord, we thank you in faith that we're going to step into promise. We pray mercy on those who are facing judgments, Lord. But nevertheless, your will be done. Because you know what's best. Your wisdom is not of man. You know what you're doing. And so we humble ourselves, we submit to it, and we thank you for it. And we're going to close out this season prophetically with the blast of the shofar. And when we close it out, we're believing that it's done and we're stepping into the new and we're going to praise him and we're going to worship him. All of the things that you failed at in the last, he's giving you a new start, a chance to get it right again. If you made it through and you learned the lessons and he's ready to bring you through to the next stage, you graduate to the next class and he's going to take you through new things. We're going to blow the shofar and we're going to believe that it's done and we're stepping into the new. And we thank you, Lord for everything you've brought us through, for everything you've taught us, for everything you're bringing us to. And we're not going to be afraid even when the shaking comes because everything you have already done teaches us to trust you for everything that is to come. So we blow it in faith and we give praise to Jesus that the King is here.